Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Captain's Log, the show devoted to discussions and insights into pop culture with an emphasis on cinema in the occasional themed episodes. This is your captain speaking, Jose Valle, and it's time for us to begin our transmission. Stardate 11-11-2018. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Captain's Log. Tonight we'll be talking about a show recommendation I have for you all, but before any of that, it is time for our famous segment, Did You See the News? Alright, starting off, did you see the news that the box office continues to get more and more hits as Universal and Illumination's Dr. Seuss's The Grinch debuted with a chart topping $66 million this weekend, making it the third largest opening for an animated title in November behind The Incredibles, which made $70.4 million, and Frozen, which made $67.39 million. That is great to hear. I am intrigued by this movie, uh, as I'm interested in the aspect of Benedict Cumberbatch as the Grinch. I mean, I didn't find myself as excited for this, and, you know, maybe that's... Maybe I should have been, but, you know, then again... Could be because this is marketed for children or because I've seen that Cinemark Grinch commercial way too many times. Got old pretty quick. Uh, reviews have been mixed uh, with it earning an A- cinema score and a 71% audience rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, regardless, uh, you know I still plan on catching this movie before it leaves theaters this holiday season. Did you see the news that Bohemian Rhapsody and A Star is Born continued their successful runs at the box office? while Sony's Venom delivered a massive massive $111 million debut in China. With time passing since my viewing of this movie, I've had time to think, and uh, Venom is not a terrible movie, meaning that I understand why people are watching it and why the layman may enjoy this film. I also have to give props to Sony for making money off an idea that I wrote off as idiotic and a money grab. I mean, clearly it was a money grab, but, you know, it worked, so I tip my hat off to them. My biggest reason for disliking this film was because, one, it wasn't a good movie. It, in terms of storytelling, character development, and world building, not good. And two, as a fan of the character and the world it comes from, I just don't think you can have Venom without Spider-Man. I mean, they're, they've rewritten the mythos, and I just don't like it, I... I can't get behind it, you know? I don't know the terms of Sony's deal with Marvel, but I don't see why they couldn't have set this in the Amazing Spider-Man universe. Just like a quick check back into the world. You know, maybe we see Parker disposing of the suit, and then it finds its way to Brock, teasing to the audience that, yeah, this world still exists, and things have happened since the last time we saw it. This way, when the deal with Marvel ends, Sony can still return to a functioning Spider-Man universe without having to reboot it once again. But I could do a whole episode on it, and so let's move on to the next bit of news. Did you see the news that the documentary centering on famed entertainer and friendliest neighbor Mr. Rogers titled Won't You Be My Neighbor won Best Documentary at the Critics' Choice Documentary Awards. It also won Best Director for Morgan Neville as well as Best Editing. So, congrats to them. Did you see the news that the location, which served as the set of HBO's Westworld, 
burned down among the thousands of acres destroyed by raging wildfires. The mansion, which hosts the reality series The Bachelor and Caitlyn Jenner's Malibu Mansion, were also reportedly destroyed in the Woolsey and Hill fires, which have forced the evacuation in the cities of Calabasas and Malibu, as well as areas of Ventura County. You know, this breaks my heart. Um, I spent a lot of my childhood summers in California, and I have lots of family members who still reside there, and so I offer my condolences to those who have been affected. I really do. Um, it's such a shame to see so much beautiful land destroyed and to see so many families displaced. Heart goes out to all those who suffered from this, this horrible, horrible event. Um, but did you see the news that Disney officially announced that there are plans for Tom Hiddleston to star once again as the god of mischief Loki in a television series that is set to debut on their planned streaming service, which, which will be called... Disney Plus. In a series of announcements made Thursday by the studio, it was revealed that there are plans to create live-action series centered around fan-favorite characters from the Marvel and Star Wars universes. In addition to a show centered around the dashing Latino rebel spy Cassian Andor, who will once again be played by fellow paisano Diego Luna, Disney chairman and CEO Bob Iger shared that the streaming service is developing a new show all about the adopted Asgardian Loki. Hiddleston then confirmed the news on Instagram with a post that read, Loki, more stories to tell, more mischief to make, more to come. We have yet to hear more details about the series, including release date, um, but the streaming service is set to launch in the U.S. in April of 2019, so we can assume that the sun will shine on Loki once again sometime after. There were also uh, more announcements made, and I'll read a statement by Disney that says, The new projects join an impressive slate of films and series planned for Disney+, Plus, that includes new stories set in the worlds of Disney and Pixar's Monsters, Inc., and Disney Channel's High School Musical, as well as a galaxy far, far away. Earlier this year, Lucasfilm revealed that Emmy-nominated producer and actor Jon Favreau will write and executive produce The Mandalorian for Disney+. Plus. The live-action series, which is set after the fall of the Empire and before the emergence of the First Order, is currently in production with a lineup of directors that include Deborah Chow from Marvel's Jessica Jones, Rick Famuyiwa of Dope, Dave Filoni of Star Wars The Clone Wars and Star Wars Rebels, Bryce Dallas Howard of Soulmates, and Taika Waititi of Marvel Studios' Thor Ragnarok. I'm not going to lie, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of really excited for this. I mean, I... I still kind of have mixed feelings about, you know, Disney creating their own streaming service because of how much of the how much they own and what it will mean for other streaming services and the whole idea of monopolization and blah blah blah. But at the same time, I'm incredibly excited to see what they have planned and excited to, you know, revisit some of these worlds and and get a series starring a Mexican actor as a lead set in the universe of Star Wars. Yeah, that is literally fulfilling the dreams of a young Jose, and I'm excited for all the other Latino boys who can have this, you know, awesome spy thriller with a character who might look like them and and be able to, you know, sort of have this hero in this universe. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely going to be signing up for this when, when the time comes. I'm definitely going to be um, signing up for Disney+. Plus. Did you see the news that we have, well, that we finally have some news about the untitled Indiana Jones 5 movie? Uh, we know that Harrison Ford and Steven Spielberg are back, 
and the film has seen two full-year delays, which put it with a release sometime in 2021. Ford appeared recently at the SAG... Um, it's, a, it's a big acronym, and so I'm just going to read it as it is and then read it as the letters. Um, so he appeared at the SAG-AFTRA, which is the S-A-G-A-F-T-R-A Foundation Honors, where he shed some light on the film's status. Um, when asked about the start of filming, Ford responded with, I'm not sure yet, but we've got a script in production that we're all very excited about and looking forward to. The Variety interview ended abruptly when the 76-year-old was asked whether or not Chris Pratt would be joining the franchise, to which he responded with, I think it's him or me. Since the project was announced, it has seen delay after delay, and what we know so far besides the fact that Harrison Ford is starring in it, and Steven Spielberg is directing, is that Solo, a Star Wars story screenwriter Jonathan Kasdan, has signed on to write the script, replacing Kingdom of the Crystal Skull writer David Coeb. Crystal Skull is widely seen as the weakest film in the indie series, so to some, the replacement may be a positive note. But, you know, however, we also have to remember that Solo was a box office disappointment for a Star Wars film, and it was a bit of a bland movie in terms of storytelling. Anyway, as far as uh, the bit about Chris Pratt's involvement in the franchise, he was one of the actors along with Bradley Cooper in discussion among fans to take over the role if there was to be a new Indiana Jones. But if Harrison Ford is starring in the project, it is unlikely Pratt would also join the project, hence Ford's comment. It is speculated, however, that this will be the actor's last appearance as the archaeology professor, giving fans closure for his story. Did you hear the never-ending Star Wars news? This time around, the news is that J.J. Abrams is reportedly trying to, quote, fix, unquote, Star Wars issues through Episode 9. The two last Star Wars movies that were released were Ryan Johnson's The Last Jedi and Solo, A Star Wars Story. The latter was, a previously, was, as previously mentioned, a box office disappointment of a Star Wars movie for The House of Mouse. And The Last Jedi is arguably the most divisive film in the entire franchise. But Abrams is reportedly trying to fix that narrative and put the franchise on a better course. Look, I'm okay with, with that. I'm okay with that. But I don't want this to be an excuse for Disney to just create bland and boring Star Wars movies that follow a repetitive formula or are just, you know, rehashes of previous Star Wars films because Star Wars fans will always complain and they will never be satisfied with what they get. But Disney should just focus on creating good movies and doing justice to the Skywalker story, regardless of how controversial it may be. It's like John Legend's character in La La Land says to Ryan Gosling Sebastian when he says, Did you say you want to save jazz? How are you going to be a revolutionary if you're such a traditionalist? You're holding on to the past, but jazz is about the future. And it's the same with Star Wars. How are we supposed to expand this universe, get new stories, push creative boundaries, if we aren't willing to take the risk? I mean, if we aren't willing to change things up and do something different, what made The Last Jedi so good is that they did things different. I get that certain characters were changed in ways that fans thought were out of character for them. But you also have to remember that this universe isn't anything we know. It's all new and everything can change. They got rid of, you know, the expanded universe that came after the original trilogy. That's not considered canon. So literally anything can happen here. And you can't really complain and say, ah, well, he wouldn't do that. You know what? It's a new character. I mean, it's a, un a new universe. So guess what? That character might do that. 
So Abrams, if you're gonna fix things, if you say you're gonna fix things, fine. But don't become stuck telling the same story from a galaxy far, far away again. And that's all the news we have. Let's dive into our show. All right, before we get into my review of the show, uh, let's get into Sabrina the Teenage Witch's backstory. It was a comic book series published by Archie Comics about the adventure of a fictional American teenager, Sabrina Spellman. Sabrina was created by writer George Gladier and artist Dan DiCarlo, and first appeared in Archie's Madhouse number 22. The series' premise is that Sabrina, a half-witch, her mother is an ordinary human, or mortal, as witches refer to them, while her father is a witch, lives with her two aunts, Hilda and Zelda Spellman, both witches themselves, in the fictional town of Greendale, which is located somewhere near Riverdale, the home of Archie Andrews. Also living with the three women as the family pet is Salem Saberhagen, a witch who's been turned into a cat as punishment for world domination attempts, a fact and origin which the show actually changes. Uh, most of Sabrina's adventures consist of Sabrina either trying to use her powers in secret to help others, which is generally are not allowed to tell mortals about their abilities or existence, or dealing with the day-to-day trials of being a teenager. A recurring theme in Sabrina's stories is her learning more about the proper use of her powers, either through her aunts or from trips to a magical dimension that is the home of various magical-slash-mythological creatures, including other witches. Various names are given to this dimension. The mid-late 2000s comics refer to it as the Magic Realm, while the live-action sitcom referred to it as the Other Realm. Sabrina's primary uh, romantic interest is her mortal boyfriend Harvey Kinkle, who, like nearly all other all the other mortals in Sabrina's world, is unaware his girlfriend is a witch. The show, however, is actually based on a specific comic run titled The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, which is an American comic book series published by Archie Horror, an imprint of Archie Comics, beginning in 2014. The series focuses on Sabrina Spellman during her teenage years in the 1960s. The series is a darker take on the character and setting of Sabrina the Teenage Witch. It is written by Robert Aguirre Sacasa, with art by Robert Hack, and is inspired by the appearances of Sabrina in Aguirre Sacasa's other Archie series, Afterlife, with Archie. Set during the 1960s, half which Sabrina lives with her witch aunts, Hilda and Zelda, her warlock cousin Ambrose and Salem, her feline familiar in the town of Greendale. Nearing her 16th birthday, she must choose whether to become a full witch or pursue a mortal life with her boyfriend, Harvey Kinkle. And that is a little bit of backstory to the character. Now, let's jump into the show. The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina reimagines the origin story of Sabrina the Teenage Witch as a dark coming-of-age story that traffics in horror, the occult, and, of course, witchcraft. Tonally in the vein of Rosemary's Baby and The Exorcist, this Adaption finds Sabrina Spellman wrestling to reconcile her dual nature, half-witch and half-mortal, while standing against the evil forces that threaten her, her family, and the daylight world humans inhabit. This new series stars Kiernan Shipka as Sabrina Spellman, Ross Lynch as Harvey Kinkle, Lucy Davis as Hilda Spellman, Miranda Otto as Zelda Spellman, Chance Perdomo as Ambrose Spellman, Jazz Sinclair as Roz Walker, and Lachlan Watson as Susie Putnam. 
This series is a brilliant retelling of the Sabrina the Teenage Witch story that I quite enjoyed. I was actually made aware of this series by a fellow Digicomer whose name is actually Sabrina, so that was neat. Um, but I didn't get around to it until this month, so it was uh, after Spooktober, which I think this series would have helped add to the spookiness of that month for me, but it was still enjoyable and something that isn't seasonal. Again, I, the, the, at the time of the filming of this episode is November, so... Um, it's a very non-seasonal show. Um, it does exist within the same universe as the Riverdale series, as they're both Archie comic properties. And it was originally meant to air on the CW, but Netflix acquired the rights to produce the series in December of 2017. Okay, so reasons for recommending the series. Um, the tone. Uh, it is dark and eerie, which works great to the setting of the story and to the whole feel of the show. You know, Sabrina's a dark character inhabiting a dark world, and therefore her show should be shrouded in mist and shadow, unlike the previous 90s version, which suffered way too much from sitcom levity. This new show dives head-on into the occult and really brings forward their vision of this world where witches exist and hide among us. It doesn't fear gore and satanic elements at all. It is a very dark show within the first two episodes. I was very on the edge of my seat. Um, I loved the attention to detail with clear and concise rules and mythos within the universe, you know, realistic sounding spells and rituals, and just the look of it was just great. I mean, the colors with it were very muted, except for Sabrina's very red clothing, which really set her apart, and that's a technique that I'm a huge fan of, um, as La La Land did a very similar thing. Um, but the colors of this world were dark, complementing the feeling of the show greatly. And it feels like one big spooky movie, but it goes on for more than just an hour. And we can continue to see this world fleshed out and see the characters develop. And speaking of characters, they were great in this. Uh, I very much enjoyed the portrayal of Sabrina in this, but the two characters that took the cake for me were Ambrose Spellman and Miss Wardwell, portrayed by Michelle Gomez of Doctor Who fame. Um, Ambrose is a cunning and charming warlock, cousin to Sabrina, who has been sentenced to house arrest for the past 75 years after being part of a plot to blow up the Vatican. He is bound to the Spellman mortuary and therefore is always around to offer his witful advice to Sabrina. Uh, he's genuinely interesting and intriguing, um, and his British charm is off the freaking charts, man. I that's why I, when I said charming earlier, I'm not kidding, like, incredibly charming guy. He's just, you know, so freaking dang likable, in my opinion, but without spoiling too much, uh, his whole house arrest thing leads to some interesting character development, uh, which helps him become more than just Sabrina's go-to person for explanations on the occult, and he has his own interesting little side adventures, which I quite enjoyed, and I can't wait to see where they go with this character and what he does next. Uh, because Chance Perdomo is a great actor, and I hope we see him in more projects because of this. And then there's the mysteriously and devilishly sultry Miss Wardwell, portrayed by former Doctor Who actress Michelle Gomez. Very early on, we learn that she isn't really Miss Wardwell, but something that has taken her look. And I won't say who she actually is, but let's just say there's definitely more to her than meets the eye. She goes from being this nerdy teacher to this sexy fox who comes into Sabrina's life and begins to influence her toward... A certain direction while she manipulates events and people in the background of the story. But the reason why I loved her was because it's Michelle Gomez who has this ability to 
portray these likable villains full of snarky remarks and dark intentions, essentially creating a likable villain who might commit atrocities but still holds a special place in your heart. Her character here was very reminiscent of her character in Doctor Who, Missy, but it seems here she cranked it up to 11. The whole time you watch this, you sort of debate with yourself as to whether or not you should like her or be weary of her, but more often you find yourself thinking, dang, I hate how much I am, I'm enjoying her character, and sort of rooting for Sabrina to fall for her dark intentions. Um, and speaking of Sabrina, uh, Kiernan Shipka did an amazing, amazing job of Sabrina. This is an origin story, and Shipka portrays um, this sort of curious and naive Sabrina very well. Her portrayal makes you become invested in the character's life, but also frustrated at her for the decisions she often makes. Um, she's often this naive character, as I mentioned, but when she needs to be dark, Shipka delivers. Oh boy, does she deliver. She has the emotion, she has a, str uh, a strong on-screen presence, and her dialogue is great, which I think isn't just entirely on the writing. That's her performance. And so when she gets angry, you feel it, because the whole time you're like, ah, this girl's too sweet, she won't do anything rash or dark. And then when she does, you're like, oh, okay, I see, okay. And I love that we were there with Sabrina as she took her first steps into the witch world, as she got her familiar Salem, as she took on the Beast in the courtroom, as she joined the Academy of Unseen Arts, and ultimately as she chose which path she would walk, the path of day or night. Another performance that is worth mentioning is that of Ross Lynch as Harvey Kinkle, Sabrina's boyfriend. I'll be honest, when I saw he was in this, I audibly sighed as the last thing I saw him in was Austin and Allie, a very idiotic Disney Channel show. But his character portrayal in this was a lot better than I expected, making me actually enjoy the actor's performance and swaying me to actually check out his portrayal of the Milwaukee cannibal Jeffrey Dahmer. He plays a part of the farm boy, lover boy quite well, but he has his funny moments here and there. And then when the time comes for his character development and massive change, he plays it quite well. All right, now the story. The story went in so many directions. From the beginning, you sort of think to yourself, all right, I see where this is going. And then there's a, there's one theme here, and they are definitely going to stick to it. But no! But then the second or third episode, they wrap up this small storylines and move on. They start on these other paths with different things happening to different characters. And Sabrina's trying to help with these. And while this happens, the thing that is introduced in the beginning slithers its way in the background. And it's very interesting to see those two things come together. This show is not light at all. Um, it is very, very dark, very occult, some creepy things that come out of the blue and send shivers down your spine. Yeah, the practical effects are very good, very unsettling, and the CGI is not terrible. Uh, most of these smaller series that try to use CGI, I feel like, often find themselves struggling. But in this, uh, the moments that had CGI were actually quite great, and I didn't find myself cringing at the attempt to use it. Um, for fans of the previous series... Yeah, don't walk into this expecting anything like that. This is Sabrina. I used to watch the old show growing up, and I liked it, but I always felt that it was too lighthearted for the story of witches. But this show is nothing like that. I'm sure we will see lots of people complain about the glorification of witchcraft or whatever, or that it's too gruesome, and it goes too far, and I can't see that. Um, you know, whatever. I, I can see that. I understand. There were moments where I found myself going, oh, wow, they just did that. Okay, well... That was something. But that is Netflix. Uh, I mean, that is how they run their shows. They aren't afraid to go there. They look at the boundary and they say, screw your boundary. And all that works to the advantage of this series because these are the chilling adventures of Sabrina, not the cutesy, 
you know, campy Adventures of Sabrina. I had a blast watching this show. I enjoyed the setting, enjoyed the story, the themes. Oh, and I forgot to mention her aunts. Oh, my Lord, they were amazing in this. I love the interactions they shared. I love the sort of side stories they embark on. And I just love their sisterly dynamic. I thought that worked really, really well. I thought the whole family dynamic really worked with the story and the whole coming-of-age aspect. I was invested in the characters, and I found myself with a sort of smile on my face while watching this. Maybe that's because I'm a weirdo with a fascination of the occult, or maybe it's because I'm an even bigger weirdo who demands that his content, whether it be movies or TV shows, have some sort of substance and good production values, which this show had lots of it. One of the great things about the show is that it is progressively gets better, you know? It starts out slow, and it's very much a slow burner, but that's okay because it ty- it takes time to build these characters and this world. A uh, bit of a side note, Supernatural's baby, the 67 Impala, actually can be seen in the background in some episodes, so that was really cool. Um, overall, this is a great darker series full of great characters and an intriguing world, and you should definitely check it out. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, we have reached the end of our show. Tune in next week at the same time and on the same frequency for another episode. I've been your Captain Jose Valle, and this has been Captain's Log, and we've reached the end of our transmission. Until next time, good night.